welcome to One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life with your host, Michael R. Hurst, a weekly dialogue about how you can manage the things that we methodically push down deep inside ourselves, the stuff we whisper about and hide from, and where you may get to say that one more thing before somebody walks out the door or to those you lost or are losing. We are happy you're here. Come on in and join the conversation. Here's Michael. Welcome to this week's episode, Finding a Spiritual Path After Loss. Our guest this episode is a woman that has persevered and overcome. She's changed her life completely, believes in naturopathic, holistic approach to life, and that manifesting the best life you can live is the key to happiness. She's going to share with us her journey of losing some very important people in her life, how that launched her into a new way of helping you to move forward in a spiritual evolution that will change your life. Please welcome Leslie Saglio. Mm, Thank you for having me, Michael. Can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yes. Well, um, and I would like to start with currently where I am because I I think people find that interesting. Um, I'm originally from Los Angeles, California, but I've been living in Europe for the past 14, 14 and a half years now. I currently live in Barcelona, Spain with my French husband and two young children. Um, But before that, I lived in London. And how that came to be was that I was having a long distance relationship with somebody I met online in 2000. which was very, it was very taboo back then. This was before smartphones. This was before um, any dating app. So as you could imagine, it was, it was very different back then. And, um, and yes, so I was, uh, I had a long distance relationship with someone I met online, very, very different than what I had imagined myself to be doing at the time. But um, he was someone that was so refreshing and so different than anything I'd ever known and and anyone I'd ever met having grown up and uh, born and raised in Los Angeles, gone to school in Los Angeles and worked in LA. And it was just a breath of fresh air. And we had a long distance relationship. And long story short, I moved my life to Europe and started a life. But before that, before my life, I like to call it BC, before children, (laughs) my life in Los Angeles. I I was an entrepreneur. I worked in the real estate industry. But before that, I worked in, in Hollywood. I worked in the entertainment industry, marketing their films internationally. And, you know, it's different. I think the generation after me, they're much more they're much more conscious. They're much more aware. But I think growing up and and how I was raised with Asian-American parents and immigrants, you know, you you really focus on the education, like getting that degree and and graduating from a really good university and getting a job and and getting the house and all these things that you're, you're told that is to define your happiness. And and I did all of that. I mean, by the age of, of 25, I checked off all those boxes off my to-do list. I graduated from the prestigious business university. I, I had an amazing job with uh, one of the biggest companies in the world. Realized shortly that it wasn't for me. So I became an entrepreneur. I had the luxury car, condo for babies. I had all of that at the tender age of 25, but it all was at the cost of my health and my well-being. I was smoking, drinking, anything I could do to cope with the rat race, basically, of <laughs> trying to live this high, high octane lifestyle. And so, yeah, really, so you really weren't happy with your life at that point. No, I mean, by by everyone's definition on the outside, it looked like I should be happy. I had everything that, yes, should be happy, but I was exhausted. I was, I didn't really feel fulfilled. And, 
I didn't really know what was missing. I was really aiming for all those shiny objects, you know, um, that I thought would complete me. And I still felt like something was missing. What What made you give all that up? Well, well, when I met my, my now husband, uh, we were dating at the time and nine months into dating long distance, he proposed. And it was interesting because the biggest question wasn't whether or not we would, I was going to marry this man. The bigger question was, who's going to move? <laughs> Is he going to move to LA or am I going to move to London? And with a lot of weighing the pros and cons and conversation, uh, we decided that it was more of an opportunity for me to reinvent myself. I was a little bit more younger than my husband. Um, and so it was just an opportunity for me to live in Europe. And and yeah, so that's what I did. So nine months after that, I, I sold everything I owned except my two Yorkies and um, packed my bags and moved to London. <laughs> you, you have to keep the dogs. Yes, that's the non-negotiable. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I we have a we have a Shih Tzu. His Charlie. Charlie's my best friend. Well, my wife is my best friend. Charlie is a close second. Yes, yes. Good answer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a new life in a country that uh, like this must have been pretty hard. Actually, it because. It, you know, it's a complete different culture, complete different lifestyle, correct? Absolutely. I mean, I thought it would be easy simply because they speak the same language, right? You assume they speak English. This is going to be easy peasy. <laughs> but it wasn't at all. Number one, um, yeah, just culturally, it's different. So it, it was a bit of a culture shock. Um and then also, I wasn't working at the time. We weren't married. So, you know, legally, I couldn't work unless I was married to a European uh, citizen. So I actually studied French um, just so I can be in London at the time. Oh, that's interesting. I, yes. I didn't know that. You, you have to, in order to work in a new country, you have to be married to somebody there? Well, yes, in order to, to to be able to to work either, well, not married, but either you have a company that sponsors you, sponsors your visa, or you are married to a European citizen. And so you are a resident legally of that country. And because I was an entrepreneur, you know, I didn't have a, a company that was sponsoring me to, to move abroad. It was my personal decision. And so, yes. <laughs> well, that, that's what kind of challenges... Other than that, what kind of challenges did you have? Probably, I, I think in the beginning of our relationship, the long distance, it really had its, its uh, it, it really was very connected. Like, you know, because we couldn't see each other physically, we talked all the time. We asked questions. We actually listened to each other. We were engaging, um, which I think you take for granted when you're physically in front of somebody, right? Like you don't really talk yeah. to them or you're not really listening. And so when we finally, you know, when we were living together and granted we were just engaged, you know, we weren't, we weren't married yet. Um, you know, I wasn't working. And I, at that point I defined so much of myself by my work. And um, so it was a bit hard for me to really just, just take that time to enjoy and figure it out. And I I'm just wasn't used to that to just taking time, you know, like most Europeans, they take a gap year, right? Like after college so that they can travel the world, so they can think about what is it that they want to do, as opposed to in America, you go straight from school to school to job. <laughs> and there's no, there's no stop. There's no stop where you can just 
have a bit of space to to explore and and discover what is it that you want to do. The gap life, the gap year. That's a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something that uh, that's something that they should practice here. I do believe uh, my my kids had the same problem. They went right directly from from school to work. And they've been working ever since, and they just got into the everyday grind of life, and they don't have time to sit back and relax. So, yeah, that's a really good idea, actually. Um, so, when you you say you were an entrepreneur when you went there, had you already developed a business here prior to going over there, or is that something you thought about when you were there? No, I mean when I was in London, so I, I decided, okay, let me let me just take some time, explore the city, get to know what are my options? And I I did, you know, if I wanted to go back into real estate, that would have required me to, it's a whole different market there in Europe. It's very different than the way it is in, in the U S. So it it wasn't really something that I was interested in. So it was more like, okay, what did I want to do differently? Did I want to go back into entertainment? Did I want to do something completely different? Um, and life had something else in store for me. We got married about a year after I moved to London. And nine months after we got married, I had my first child. So I became a mother, uh, a young mother, and, and quite quickly. <laughs> that, that changes life. It really does change life for the better. Yes. For the better. So you had your, you had your first child. And um, we'll go on. So I, I took some time to enjoy her, which I think in the beginning, again, this whole mentality coming from at least my background and how I was raised, I just felt guilty, like I should be doing something else. Like, is this really what I should be doing, taking care of my child? But I mean, it's a beautiful thing. But yet I just felt so guilty because, you know, that's not what I believe, like, you know, that. That's okay. You know, in the States, I don't know if it's changed, but women only get like six weeks, at least when I was in the States, of maternity leave. And that's insane. Like here in Europe, women get years <laughs> to take care of their child. They've expanded it to 12 weeks. Okay. okay. But it should be more. Absolutely. Yeah, they expanded it to 12 weeks here, but it should be more. And now they've got some some companies have implemented paternity leave mm-hmm. for fathers to take the same amount of time. Which I think is a very positive thing. Yes, I do. Um, too. Back when I had our kids, we've got two girls. Um, I think when they were born, my wife had probably th- two weeks or three weeks for each of our children, which was really nothing. And you know, I was working the whole time. So, um, in fact, I I believe. Let me see if I think about this correctly. One of my my best friends actually is a police chief now. He, um, right after they implemented the 12-week uh, time period for a mother to take off, he pushed it to get 12 weeks for himself to take off, and they approved it. Amazing. But he also, from London, he, he's a Londoner, he's English, so when he came out here, he immigrated here. So he kind of said, well, this is the way we do stuff there, yes. so I want to do it here, and, and he convinced them, so he was lucky enough to get that time off. I was a little, I was jealous actually. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's never too late to change. <laughs> so I know I know that, um, and this may be too soon to talk about this, but I know you lost some people in your life um, that kind of you know changed your life for a bit. Can you tell me about who they were and how they fit into your life? Yes. Yeah, so 
It was, uh, you think, I was, so I have uh, my daughter who uh, was born in 2008, and then my second child, my son, uh, was born in 2010. And around that time, uh, before I was pregnant with my second child, um, my best friend, my childhood best friend, so I'd known her since I was 12 years old in braces in middle school, she came down with a rare cancer. And She was 33 years old. Her son was, I think, eight at the time. And that just was like so hard, so hard to think like it's so young, so young to to, to have that. And um, yeah, that that was really hard. It's life changing. Absolutely. And and she was in remission for about a year, over a year. And then it came back aggressively. Um, it went in, it metastasized into her bones. And, um, and then she was in the hospital and they didn't know what was wrong. And she had pneumonia and they just kept pumping her full of antibiotics. And at, at some point she just had renal failure and, um, and she just transitioned off this earth. So yeah, that was a, that was hard. It's unfortunate. Cancer is a devastating disease. Um, it it unfortunately takes people from us too soon, in in a very painful way, which is which is hard to watch, hard to experience, and is hard is hard on everybody involved. The friends, family, colleagues, and you know, close friends from childhood are like family. So it's like losing a family member. So my condolences to that. How did you cope with that? So how I coped was I had so much emotion that I didn't know how to, what to do with it, what it meant. Because, I mean, I've lost, you know, grandparents before, but I just felt like this was, this was really just felt different to me and I didn't know how to process it. And um, I, I started seeking healers and teachers. I knew that however I was going to deal with this grief and, 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 and move through it, I couldn't do it alone and I needed to get support and sometimes, you know, getting the support of somebody outside of your world is is one of the best things that you can do. And um, and that's what I started. I started doing. I I, I started um, get. I got a mentor. I started um, meditation practice, yoga practice. I mean, I started just being a seeker um, and started to try to learn how to manage these emotions that were moving through me and knowing that they were perfectly normal, that they were fine. And that grief is not, it's not an event. It's a process. So it's not something that's, you know, when and done, like, okay, how many tears? And then it's over. You should be over it. Um, And being okay with that and being okay with that. Yeah, I, I appreciate that approach because too many people think grief is something that they need to, I've got one week to grieve. And I'm going to start on Monday and I'm going to end on Sunday and I'm done and done with it. And actually, that's not how grief works. Grief can stay with us for a lifetime, actually. And it the, the change in that or the positive in that is that you can you can make it a positive experience. You can change it to where it's manageable. And we never, ever really let go of that grief, I believe. It's still there deep down inside, but we're allowed to have that grief because that grief helps us remember somebody and it can help us remember somebody in a positive way as well. Absolutely. And I, and what I also learned through her, her death is that also the love and and all the, the memories and history that you've shared with somebody um, physically on this earth, it still survives and that they are always around you and that they're just, 
taking another form <laughs> on this earth. That that's a very profound that's a very profound statement actually. Um, I, I think that um, that's something that everybody can kind of resonate with. And I believe that um, maybe you can help us to understand how somebody can keep that thought. Well, I think it's always important to to remember what that how that person meant to you and and how you can be inspired by their life and their legacy. I I don't believe that there, you know, I always believe that there's a divine reason in everything, a divine order, and we don't necessarily um, are meant to understand it, or maybe it'll take us time or a lifetime to understand it, but always just finding, you know, a reason in, in, in how how their life or, or how their death, how, how can that, how can I turn that into something of good in this world? And that's what I'm hoping to do with my life now. Well, in, in your process, if you're, you're seeking to overcome this and practicing meditation and practicing yoga and you know, the, the mind, body, soul approach, the more holistic way of approaching uh, your grief, did you find that those methodologies helped you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they were life changing, which is why because they were so transformative in my own healing and in my own life and how I was showing up as a mother, as a wife, as a friend, I just felt like it was it would have been selfish not to share these transformational practices with people. And and I realized also, um, I know we haven't gotten there yet, but when my father was on hospice care in 2015, you know, my how I dealt with it was so much more different because I had evolved and because I had these spiritual practices and I had these tools in my toolbox, which I didn't have uh, when my best friend passed away. And so I knew, um, you know, this time around that I, I, I could move through it just a little bit more gracefully and a little bit more mindfully when my father was on hospice. And it really helped me. So it helped you through that process as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, do you, is that what started you on your journey to, to, to better health? I think that's what you said earlier. Yes. When my, um, when my best friend was diagnosed with cancer and that just really opened my eyes and heart to a new way of, of living and, and being in this world. And I just started researching. I started reading and going to classes and just seeing whatever resonated for me. I mean, obviously there's so much information out there, especially with the internet. I mean, it could be almost too much information and, and overwhelming, but I think little by little, when you start your journey and you find your way, you know, you'll, you'll find, they always, there's a saying that says, you know, when the student's ready, um, the teacher will appear. And um, I really found that to be true in my life. So obviously you believe that mind, body, and soul have to balance in order to heal, whether it be mentally or physically? Absolutely. When I when I started my, I guess you can say my, my spiritual awakening and, and deepened my meditation and yoga practice, I just realized, wow, the, the mind, body, um, and spirit, it's so connected. You know, we're, we're, it's really about remembering our life on this earth. It's about remembering how connected we really are in ourselves and to each other and, and, and on this earth. And you... You do, you currently, obviously you currently practice, um, you currently still practice the meditation and the yoga as a lifestyle. 
Yes, absolutely. I practice it myself and uh, and I, I share it with others as well. In- so you coach and so forth. We can get into that a little bit later in the in the in the show. Do you believe that we have to experience difficult and painful times in order to seek a better way of living, a more happier or meaningful way of life? Mm, a good question. Yes, I do. I've, I believe as spiritual beings having a human experience, that's how we experience life. We experience life through contrast. We experience love through fear. We experience joy through pain. And so it's not until we have those challenges or we have those trials or tribulations, however people, however um, they resonate with that, is what really pushes us to become a seeker. I I agree with that. I think that, you know, unfortunately, in my experience, and as I said previously in some of my other podcasts, I'm a retired police sergeant, and you and I had spoken about that. And uh, my journey began when I lost my father when I was like, uh, I just barely turned 17 years old. He was 39. He also died of cancer, um, esophageal cancer, and some other complications and so forth, which 39 is a very young age, just like your, your friend. Um, and it kind of uh, devastated me during that time period because there were so many questions and so forth. I grieved for about 40 years until I finally came at peace with myself in regard to that loss. I lost my mother in 2010. Um, same thing, didn't get to say goodbye. She was in a different state as well. Um, and it took me a few years to even come to grips and at peace with that. I I was driven to the same thing. I went into meditation and learning meditation. And I do not practice yoga because of my rheumatoid arthritis, but I do practice Qigong, which is a, a medical form of Kung Fu, actually, or Tai Chi, um, which allows me kind of almost the same thing as yoga because the meditation is there, the breathing exercises are there, the slow movements there, the focus and the concentration. But it helped me immensely to come at peace with myself, but it took me 40 years to do it. So a long time. You're doing it. <laughs> it's, know, it's, they say it's a journey and they say they call them practices for a reason. It's a practice. It's a, exactly. It's a practice. Got to do it every day. Um, it's helped me through my uh, last five or four surgeries. I'm about to get my fifth. So it's helped me, helped me to uh, kind of heal quicker from that and uh, helped me get off the medications and everything else that they've had me on for quite some time. So it's, I am completely naturopathic and holistic myself at this moment. Yes. So powerful. So powerful. Well, uh, grief and losing somebody is, I think, one of the most eventful times in our lives. People can lose house. You can lose a house. You can lose a car. You can lose, um, you can lose possessions, personal possessions, but losing someone or something such as a pet close to you or a part of your life or that's been a part of your life for quite some time is a is a devastating, at times, a devastating incident that will stick with you for the rest of your life. Do you agree with that? Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, it's, I think that um, choosing a path each individual has to choose their path. And you know, I think later I'm going to ask you how people can do that with you. But each person has to choose a path to determine their own happiness and how to overcome that grief and that loss. So you talk about an energy PS. How does that all relate to this? Hmm, energy PS. <laughs> yes. Um, what I found through my meditation practice and in working with 
with my my clients, so it's it's not just my own personal experience. Is that when when we get quiet, when we tune in, and we silence all that mind chatter and other people's opinions and the ego, is when we can really hear what it is that is our heart's desire, what it is that what we're meant to do in this world. Like what is our calling? What is our vision? And I and I found that before I had a meditation practice, and even before a meditation practice, when I lived in Europe, because I just found the dichotomy between Europe and, and America is very different. You know, America it's it's so plugged in and and so much stimulation 24/7. Like when I go back, I'm like, wow, I have a bit of a headache. I have to. It's a culture shock for me now to go back <laughs> from Europe. Um, and. And so when when we can when we can get silent when we can get still even if it's just 5 minutes I always tell people just 5 minutes in the morning um because that's what um many uh, religions and ancient sages say is that in the morning is when we're the most receptive even if it's just 5 minutes um that can just set us up for uh, our day just like more peaceful more mindful more conscious less reactive I mean, all of those things, it's just, it's so transformational. A lot of how we are acting is our stress and anxiety is just coming from future tripping or past tripping and not really coming from a a state of being present. And that only comes from, yeah, being more mindful of meditation practice and getting still and getting quiet. If somebody loses somebody, if somebody um, loses a family member, a friend, a colleague, even a pet, because fur babies are our fur babies and people grieve through them as well. What, what would you recommend the, the first step that they take? And I know, I know that you've been on a large, you know, long journey. You, you told us about the journey, but um, to help somebody come to a quicker approach to that journey, what would you recommend? Well, <laughs> there, uh, there's no quick approach. <laughs> there's no, um, I don't know if that's the right word to use in this instance, but there are, there are some practices I found uh, that can help you move through and move forward and remember with more love than with more pain. And that's um, really honoring your process and allowing you to, whether it's angry or sad, whatever it needs to be, if you need to cry, um, then cry. You know, um, our society really puts a lot of emphasis on not really well, vulnerability is that it's it's soft, it's weak, and not to show your emotions. And it's so incredibly important to feel that, you know, emotions is simply energy. It's energy in motion. So if we don't allow that grief, if we don't allow that sadness, anger, regret to move through us in a healthy way, it will it will stay in our body. It will remain there and it will stay stagnant and stuck and it will manifest itself in other ways. Um, so there's simple things like, you know, I, there's like release writing, like, you know, if there, if you felt you weren't able to, there were some things you weren't able to, to say to your loved one. Um, I always have like myself or clients, I recommend release writing, which is very powerful. It's a pure stream of consciousness, just writing pen to paper you know, when we write, that accesses the right side of the brain, the more intuitive, the more creative side. And so when we write things down, it'll become basically illegible at some point, but just keep writing, 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 writing. And 
and a minimum of 10 minutes. It's really like the, the, the sweet spot. And then just rip it up and burn it. That, that's an interesting approach to me. So I, the, I'm assuming, or please help me understand, um, so burning it would re, would what's the purpose of that? What what does so, that do? Yeah, so our our unconscious mind really uh, really reacts well to rituals. So when we do something and you know we are writing it down, we're allowing this energy, this emotion, to move through us more healthily. And in the fact that we weren't able to say verbally what we wanted to say to somebody, and then ripping up and burning it. It's just allowing, it's just another emphasis on that energy to just transmute itself and then allow it to just move through you and move out. So it's, it's, it's like, it's a bit of a ritual, but it's, it's very powerful, very powerful. So if you've lost somebody and you didn't get the opportunity to say what you wanted to say, there's like my, my podcast, never being able to get to say what you wanted to say. If somebody wrote that into a letter they could put all their emotion into it. They can say exactly what they want to say. At the end of that, then they would take that in and burn it. And that kind of helps release that from your from your from your soul, basically, from your your conscious. Yes. Because you know, if as a different than a journal, right? A journal is something we keep. And if we write knowing that potentially someone can get their hands on this, somebody can read it, then we tend to edit and filter what we actually want to say, what we actually want to get up Mm -hmm. and out. But if we know that this will not, no one will have any access to this, this will be um, ripped up and burned, then we're more free to just go ahead and say what we need to say. Sometimes they call them like a fuck you letter. I'm sorry, excuse my language. But if you were mad at somebody, you know, that's one of the tools you can do. I mean, it's not just with someone that passed away, but you just you just get it out. You just get it out. And if it's somebody particular, you can just say, dear mom, dear dad, like you actually started out like a letter um, and, and just say whatever it is that you couldn't say. Well, you know, it's I've got a couple of interviews that I've done with uh, people with uh, PTSD dealing with sexual trauma uh, from their childhood and and on into their adulthood. So that would work for something like that as well, don't you think? Oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's it's uh, some of the work I you know, well, it's a big part of the work I do with my with my clients. It's like you know that whatever happened to us when we were younger, that inner child. If we didn't get the love or the security um, from whoever was taking care of us, which most of the time was our mother or father, and they didn't model certain behavior for us, we are carrying that into our adulthood. And if we, it's not necessarily up to them to 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 change that for us. Um, now, as adults, we you know own that, acknowledge it, accept it. Um, you know, understand that somehow that made you become the person you were. And then um, give self love and compassion to that to that young younger self. And so there are you know some exercises to, to do with that um, as well. That's very interesting. I'm gonna I'm a, I've got a lot of writing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife's gonna say, "Why do you have a bonfire in the backyard?" It's <laughs> like oh, I'll tell you in a minute. <laughs> so that, that's a that's a that's a very interesting approach. I like that. I know that I kind of interrupted you a little bit on your flow. Um, is there anything else that that would help uh, people to get, go through the grieving process or go through a process of letting go or saying what they wanted to say? I think it's always also important to to honor 
the person that's transitioned. So, you know, speak about them, mention their name, you know, and it also helps when you're on the other side. If you know somebody where they had somebody that's passed away, ask them, you know, what was their name? Tell me something about them. And that's really, really a beautiful way to to support someone in their grief and in their love um, with someone that passed on because people just don't do that anymore. At least I, I, you know, people are texting, they're sending Facebook posts. And I remember when my father was um, on hospice care and I was, you know, people asking, you know, let me know if there's anything I can do for you. It's like, I'm not going to let you know anything, you know, like just pick up the phone and call me or come over, you know, like no one's going to just that human connection just goes a long way, a long, long way. I think we're missing the human connection in today's lifestyle. I agree with you on that. Um, too many people are on the screen. Even when you go into a restaurant now, you don't see people having a conversation at yeah. the dinner table. This, this is obviously along the same notation here, uh, offshoot a little bit, but people are looking at their phones. Uh, they're sitting across the table from each other when they can actually have a conversation and they're both looking at their phones. Yes. Or if there's a family, I've seen I've seen a whole family, a mother, father, a couple of kids. Everybody's got a cell phone. Everybody's got their nose in the cell phone while they're eating. Nobody's talking, which is really a shame. Yes, it that is. People, people need to get back to human connection. I, I have to tell my kids that all the time. They text me. Well, I don't hear from you. Well, I text you. Well, don't text me. Pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. Yes. Give me a call. Yes. I, I'm, I'm old fashioned that way. Just mm-hmm. talk to me. So, yes, yes. Absolutely. Communication is the key. Communication in all aspects of life is key. You have to be able to communicate with somebody. And I think in these particular situations, communication is extremely important. It allows you to know people are there for you. It comes from the heart. It's not false. And it can help you move through anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes it's not a matter of, you know, that you have to respond to whatever the person that's grieving, like they're saying or sharing, just holding space for them, holding that sacred space for them to just be grieve, cry, share, whatever it is that they need to do. I think also what we do in our culture is we cut people off. We're not really actively listening. We're not really holding that space. And so we cut people off and we we filter or, or you know, whatever uh, our own experiences and we, we don't let them finish <laughs> their thought and their feeling. So there's so much power in just being quiet, holding the space and just letting them feel heard and seen. There's so much power in that. Listen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Take the time to listen. Actively Absolutely. listen. That makes, yes. that makes sense. Is there is there anything else that you would recommend? I mean, I know that you practice an approach to, I think, mental and physical with um, using essential oils. Is that something that you feel might help people? Tell me how essential oils work, please, because I'd like to just know a little bit more about that uh, from a naturopathic or holistic approach. I'd like to know more about it. Yes, essential oils. And it's it's interesting that you, you mentioned that now because um, I was actually introduced to en- essential oils from one of my healers uh, after my best friend passed away. That was one of the tools that he gave me and coming from just my personal background. And in the States, you know, my parents, they give us a pill or something like you have a pain, you have a hurt, you have a fever, take this, take this Tylenol or take this and and, and try to relieve the symptom, but not the root cause. And so I remember when he recommended essential oils and, you know, at that point I was like, anything, I'll, I'll try anything. And everything was like I'll, a yes to me. And, and I remember him telling me, it's not that you have to take these for the rest of your life. Like you can with prescription drugs. It's just to help you 
support you right now. And then maybe you don't need them. Maybe you'll need something else, but just it's to support you in, in what you're dealing with. Can you, can you mm-hmm. help us understand, um, and help me understand, help us understand how does essential oil work? Do you like, do you, you, you take it uh, orally? Do you use it on your skin? Uh, do you, is it, this is, and I'm only putting this out there. It may be obviously way off the shot. Like, do you burn it? What, what do you do? How, how is essential sure. oil implemented in something like this? So essential oils, you can use them in, in many ways. You can either use them topically or you can diffuse them in a room. Uh, some of them, you can ingest them if they're therapeutic grade, like the ones I use, which is doTERRA, which is an American brand. So there are many different ways to, or you can just smell it directly from the bottle. Um, they're, they're just as, as and d- depending on what support you're trying to get, depending on the, the oil you're using, um, there's many ways to, to use them. What can they be used for? Like, for example, in I don't know, we've been talking about grief and loss here for a good portion of the time. So if somebody is suffering from kind of loss and grief and trying to overcome that, that can assist them in that. Is that correct? Essential oils can be a tool to support them. Yes, I wouldn't say it's the only thing. Um, there's a lot of inner work and support that goes on um, when you are grieving. But essential oils can definitely, and I know this just speaking from firsthand experience, uh, definitely a support when you're going through something such as grief. How do, the, how do essential oils affect our physiology? Right. Okay. Whether so it be mentally oils. or physically. So they say that our sense of smell is 10,000 times stronger than our sense of touch and our sense of sight. So when we smell something that has the power and the effect to literally shift our energetic state, our mental state, our physical state, our emotional state, um, you know, each oil has a their own, uh, what do you call it, their own um, like energetic vibration. They also have their own chemical compounds. So one oil can have like 30 plus benefits. So something like peppermint, for instance, uh, you can use it for headache. You can use it for hangover. You can use it for jet lag. You can use it for um, stomach ache. You can use it um, for freshen your breath. You can also use it to, if you just want to uh, pick me up and, and get more energy throughout the day. So one oil has so many um, benefits to them. So depending on what you're looking to get some support around, um, there's basically an, an oil for, for anything. <laughs> there's an oil for anything. I am- thought about using essential oils in regard to anything. I mean, I know that I've burned in incense in the house. Is, is, is that something uh, a long time ago? I haven't done it recently, but we used to burn incense in the house to kind of keep it, keep it. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. I guess. Clean. Clear. <laughs> you know, kind, of, kind of fresh. Clean. Clean's a better word. <laughs> and we've used diffusers before, but uh, the, the stuff that we put in the diffuser, it wasn't really labeled as um, kind of an essential oil. It just, you could buy something you put in the diffuser, you dump it in there, and then you put the little sticks mm-hmm. in there and, and it made the, the room smell nice. So as a tool for helping to somebody, somebody overcome grief and loss, since um, that's what we've been talking about earlier, what would you recommend how would somebody approach if they want to add that to their toolbox? I would say uh, find support. So there are either you can just go online. Obviously, there you know, just type in what it is that you would like some support around, and you know, there's 
There's an oil, like I said, for everything, but it can help to actually get a professional, somebody that is well-versed in the oils and and really help support you in that. Because the oils, um, they can help you on a physiological level, but um, they also help on a much, much deeper emotional level. So if you speak with somebody, like when I'm with my coaching clients and um, after I have a few sessions with them, then I feel like I can probably properly uh, encourage them which oils to use. Like, I, I don't want to just say use this one, this one, this one, because underlying maybe you're not sleeping or underlying that you are not digesting well or that you have like, I don't know, some hives on your body is a symptom of something so much more deeper. So really getting some pr- professional advice on which oils um, is probably the most beneficial. But, you know, people can always, you can go online and see if there's something that you want um, more immediate effect, then that's that's totally possible. But it is important to have therapeutic grade oils. So just like with food, if you have something, if you have whole, whole, whole organic foods versus something that's, uh, you know, um, pesticide driven or, you know, GMO, you're not nearly going to get the same amount of nutrients and vitamins and benefits from that fruit or, or vegetable. So it's the same thing with essential oils. Like if it's something that's not harvested in, um, in these very, uh, places of the world where they're the most potent and they're not, um, distilled in a very, um, how do you say very professional way, then you're not going to get the benefits. So a lot of what we're, what's out there in the market is just perfume. Like you say, like to make the room smell good. And a lot of it is actually toxic. <laughs> it's actually really toxic. Um, so when you actually get something that's yeah. therapeutic grade, then you're really working with something that's going to help you on a much deeper level. So your advice would be for somebody, if they're interested in using essential oils as part of the toolbox for overcoming grief and loss, that they seek some professional advice in helping them to determine what some underlying effects may be, and they would give them a better option for what might be beneficial to them in lieu of just going to the store and buying something off the shelf. Absolutely. What I found in grief as well is that it triggers, right? So if somebody passed away, it it triggers lots of stuff um, from our past, and uh, and so you, I think it's really important, and I encourage people to to seek and get the professional support around that, because again, if you're just taking an oil just by itself and not getting any support around that, that's kind of like almost just taking a pill again. And thinking that's just gonna that's gonna do it. Yeah, it's not a band aid. It 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 goes deeper than that. What's the most important thing that you've learned in your journey with loss and rebuilding your life that you can pass on to our listeners? One thing, huh? Okay. <laughs> it it so could be much. it could be more than one. You know, it life life is life gives us lessons. You know, I like I had told you earlier that, you know, I had to rebuild and reinvent my life Mm -hmm. based upon what happened to me in my life. You know, I was a sergeant. I was on my way to testing for lieutenant. I had a career. That was my identity. A lot of people don't understand when you're a police officer or in law enforcement of any Mm -hmm. type, it's not just a job. It's your identity. That's what you do. 
and you live it every day. When I was told I couldn't do that anymore, I had to change my life. And I went through a lot of anger, a lot of depression, a lot of, um, right. it's, it's like loss, just like losing a family member. It, it's the same essential grief process of, of losing somebody or losing an animal that you love. So I had to relearn how to reinvent my life. And there's lessons that I learned along the way as well. That's why it took me time to go back into the, get into the meditation and the, the Qigong and the holistic, natural way of improving my health. So, so I understand Mm. it it could be more than one thing. It's always more than one thing, but there's always one umbrella, (laughs) umbrella thing. Let me think if I can concise this. I think that the thing that's coming, the thing that I'm, I'm being called to share right now in this moment is, you know, we never know why someone's soul chose a certain path. We don't know why certain people transition off this earth at certain times or why they, you know, we, we, we don't know. And it's not for us to sometimes to always know. But what, what we can do is how to remember with more love than pain. How can we find meaning through our pain and our suffering? And there's a really interesting quote one of my uh, yoga teachers used to say when I was in class is that um, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. So it's all about how you, your perception of what's happening in your life. So like I said, when my best friend passed away, I did not have any of these tools. I was a hot mess. And then when my father was um, was dying, it was a whole different experience. It was a really different experience. And, and I think when you have those tools and when you know that you can't you really can't control anything that happens outside of you. And you really feel that when you lose somebody, when they die, you, you, can't, you don't have control over that. But what you can control is how, how you react, how you behave, and the meaning you give to that experience. And I think if there's one thing I, I would like for your listeners to, to walk away with is, is, is that. I think that's a very profound and brilliant way of saying that. I think that um, hopefully those out there can um, take that to heart and um, help them move forward in their lives in a positive way. I think that affects us more, not just in grief and loss, but that sounds to me like it's something that we should do and practice on a regular basis. It's a practice. Are there any parting words of wisdom or anything else that you want to say that we may have missed in regard to the conversation today? Mm. Well, thank you for asking. Yeah, I, I found that um, that through my own personal journey and just starting to to help people in theirs, that everything is connected. Everything's connected. So even if we think there's something happening at work, then it's a reflection of something that's happening at home how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about ourselves is systemic to our childhood, how we grew up and how our parents modeled love and happiness and security, all those things. And so what I my passion is to help people to to really be empowered with the tools and practices so that they can they can heal 
they can acknowledge and accept some of the things that happen in their life, but from a different perspective, knowing that, yes, it made you the person who you are and honoring the person that you were, but knowing that you, who you're becoming is so much more than anything you can ever imagine and that the possibilities are, are limitless. And we really have that power within us. We have that, that peace and, and calm and connection. It's already within us. It's really about remembering. And once we get still enough and remember that, this can translate so much more powerfully in how we are with ourselves and so in relationship with people. So as much as I work with people in their their intimate relationships, um, relationships is everything. <laughs> relationships is with everybody. It's your exes, your siblings, your parents, your coworkers, how you show up as a leader in your work. It is all connected. It is not separate at all, which is why, you know, I... I work with people in up-leveling their relationships, um, which is to help them expand in both their personal and professional growth. That's amazing. If somebody wanted to contact you and learn more about what you do and what you can help them with, what's the best way they can do that? The best way is they can either just email me at leslie at lesliesaglio.com or go to my website, which is lesliesaglio.com. I'm also on Instagram and LinkedIn at Leslie Saglio. And I'll put a link to that, to both of those on our show notes and on my website at beforeyougopodcast.com. I would like to thank Leslie for sharing her insight onto finding a spiritual path after loss. What a fantastic opportunity for you to move forward in life. Thank you for having me, Michael. This is your host, Michael R. Hurst, signing off for this week. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved. 